Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Stephanie Boulouris. Your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by senior analysts Anjali Lai and Enza Yonopolo to discuss how and why to create a trust strategy in your organization. Welcome both. Thanks so much. Thank you. So maybe a broad question, but I think it's a good place to start. What's changing the public's trust right now? What are the dynamics at play? And I'm sure there are many that um, are sort of the backdrop for a trust strategy. So, I mean, it goes without saying that this has been an incredibly complex and strained time for consumers. We're coming out of hopefully the COVID-19 pandemic and a whole confluence of crises around that, including social unrest, financial uncertainty, economic strain, um, uh, exposure to climate risk. And what we're seeing is that uh, all of these things are putting pressure on how people trust, whom people trust, and why they choose to invest their trust in certain entities or organizations or leaders. Um, we've seen some of these trends playing out over time. So things like the unstable trust in public or societal institutions that were once the kind of cornerstone of society, things like um, the you know, local or national government, like religious organizations, like other sort of public institutions. Trust has been declining in these organizations for many, many years. But at the same time, we're seeing uh, trust levels that are just uh, as high as they've always been in private enterprise, in uh, one's own employer. Uh, we're seeing trust in peer communities and, uh, you know, among consumer groups um, uh, as strong as ever. And so there's this interesting dynamic happening where trust is declining in certain uh, organizations. It's stronger in other organizations. And all of these crises that we've been through are are calling on us to question uh why and how we're trusting these different organizations. Um, This has also been complicated by the fact that there's just been an incredible influx of misinformation, disinformation, especially over the past year that uh, has been branded as the infodemic by the World Health Organization that has also caused us to take pause and reevaluate which information sources are trustworthy. Um, uh, The rapid advancement of technology um, is uh, driving the sense of anxiety, especially uh, among U.S. consumers about, you know, what is the state of our future, right? Are we trusting in AI-enabled technologies too much? Are robots going to take over the world, right? This dystopian kind of view that we've seen in the media um, is continuing to to linger as we're seeing more sophisticated uh, technology advancement. Um, And because of all of the recent Um, uh, crises, we have exposed ourselves to new vulnerabilities, right? To new risk. We're all of a sudden aware of new threats in our environment and are consciously um, having to plan for a future in which we are more resilient to say another pandemic or, you know, other kinds of outbreaks that are not expected like the COVID-19 pandemic wasn't for so many consumers. And so all of these things are kind of happening in the environment. Many of them have been happening over time, but have there's been this kind of crescendo given everything over the past year and a half that has really kind of pushed trust to the forefront and has driven us to, you know, really examine it systematically and write the research that we're talking about today. 
you mentioned technology. I mean, technology is interesting. All is really interesting in all this. I mean, like you said, it's it's creating and fueling all of these dystopian fears of job losses and bias and discrimination. But then at the same time, it also seems that it's been empowering for some individuals. It's giving people more control over their individual privacy, um, potentially offering more oversight over companies. So I'm curious how you feel about the the dual role of tech. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely one of the things that we have been um, analyzing as part of the research. And uh, it's exactly as you are describing, this dual role, which on one side is the fear element, but it's also true that technology has almost created this expansive oversight into how companies operate, how your third-party ecosystem operates. And so uh, the fact that consumers through, for example, asking an organization, hey, I want to know which data you've been collecting about me, now has a way really to see whether that organization has followed through that privacy notice that they have put on their website is very powerful. At the same time, if you are claiming that you are a sustainable organization, there is software out there that actually allows me as a user, as a consumer, to go and check actually where are you sourcing your um, um, uh, resources to create the materials, for example, to create your final products. So technology is empowering this uh, oversight, which is not from regulators anymore or only from regulators anymore, is really the broader ecosystem. And then um, employees is another, you know, technology is also playing the relationship between a company and employees, where actually as an employee, I can start understanding more of the way you operate. Maybe I can use social platform like Glassdoor then to share with the community about my feedback um, on, on, about the employer that I'm working for. And then it creates this um, ability then uh, to really express uh, not only uh, in, in the relationship between the employee and the company, but really with the ecosystem at large. Uh, the, these relationships that really provide this, um, this view to the broader world about, about your practice as a company. Anjali, I think you hit on this a little bit, but I, the, the shift in terms of like who people are trusting today has been shifting and has become more um, apparent, I guess, or obvious. And maybe, you know, Enza, you just hit on it too, in terms of the employer relationship and employee-employer relationship too. So can we maybe double-click into both of those, like the trust in businesses versus, you know, government institutions, but also the relationship that employees have with their employers and sort of the necessary or lack of trust that's happening there during this time? Well, with reference to the relationship between employee and employer, definitely that was one of our um, audiences, if you like, for the research. So we'll look into how um, uh, the trustworthy relationship between businesses and consumers is changing, but also how the relationship changing between companies and partners and then companies and employees. And of course, um, if as a company um, uh, you invest in building trust with your employees, there are a number of benefits that you are going to uh, um, um, you know, experience and uh, loyalty, commitment um, are part of that. Our research also suggested even um, before leading or, or leading into this trust research that actually um, employees share um, a sense of um, empathy with the company, the empathy on the values that the company um, is publicly embracing uh, that motivates them to be more productive, to be more loyal. And so um, definitely there is this very strong potential when an organization decides to increase and not just by chance, but really uh, with a 
lot of of work and 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 um, a lot of commitment really increasing trust with their with their employees there are a number of benefits that come out of that relationship I was going to say, just to jump in there for a second, have you seen any regional differences in some of that employee trust in organizations? I mean, we know during the pandemic in the U.S. in particular, employees often trusted their private employer more for information about the pandemic than they did some government sources. So I was curious if you'd seen any any regional differences. Absolutely. There are very significant um, regional differences in shaping trust in general. On this specific uh, topic of employees, absolutely. Uh, when I think about the data around uh, the the, uh, the feeling of trust during the pandemic in Europe, we found that instead employees um, in some in some region, Italy, for example, in some country, they would trust the government, information coming from the government more than they would trust their, uh, their employers. But recently, and probably this is uh, the last way of data coming from the research, we have seen that trust uh, in employers, and again, Italy is here, my example, is actually significantly decreasing and has been decreasing the last 12 months. And so regional differences are definitely playing a very important role in shaping trustworthy relationship between employees and employers. Um, I mean, I think the regional differences are really interesting because um when you understand how people trust, as we talked about in the beginning, this is this is essentially emotional, right? And so it means that you have to understand the human being in context. And so the context of a consumer in um, New Delhi uh, is very different from the context of a consumer in uh, uh you know, Chicago in the States would be very different from a consumer on the outskirts of London. And there are so many layers there to unpack. There are cultural differences. There are, um, you know, uh, governmental differences. Uh, there are social influences, um, uh, you know, let alone the individual's own age and family status and motivation and emotional profile. And so um, really, it you know, for any business leader to fully uh, empathize and understand with what understand what audiences need. They have to put together this full, you know, call it a three hundred and sixty degree view uh, of the individual by by peeling back all of these different layers. We see this play out in the trust data that we recently collected uh, when we find that, for instance, forty six percent of uh, online adults in Singapore um, enjoy taking risks in hope of better returns. Right, that risk profile. Um, is is fairly strong compared to 32% of consumers in the UK who say the same thing, um, who have a, a relatively more conservative risk profile. Um, uh, the willingness to trust, uh, for example, government institutions or healthcare institutions, um, you know, especially through like the crises that we've been through, is very different based on how protocols were rolled out, you know, how governments ensured compliance. Um, there's so many, again, just political and cultural layers there that are shaping individuals' willingness to trust different organizations and their willingness to take risks. Um, it also, we've seen, has impacted consumers' uh, outlook on pandemic recovery. So, for instance, you know, over 60% of consumers in metropolitan China are really optimistic about a strong like economic rebound happening quickly after the crisis, the, the pandemic fully passes, compared to just around 30% in the U.S. and even fewer in the U.K. And so, again, it's coming from the structure, right, the system, um, 
that these consumers are operating in, but it's reflected in their outlook, which then drives sensitivity to different values, brand choices, motivations, product purchasing, um, and spend behavior. And we see the difference, uh, the regional differences playing out also, of course, in our in our levels. And so, for example, that in the U.S., consistency seems to be uh, primarily correlated with trust for the highly services-oriented organization. We found that in France is empathy that is driving that, that is topping the list, and in other region uh, is dependability. And there are also differences across the other um, business types that we've um, analyzed. So it's interesting to see how some of the risk and trust attitude that consumers have clearly translate also in our uh, system of primary and secondary levers uh, for specific business types. There's a couple interesting points that you both made that might be worth pointing out, which is um, there's often blanket statements that individuals are losing trust in government and societal institutions. But actually what I'm hearing is a little bit more nuanced than that, which is more of a destabilization, which is the trust is no longer absolute. People question, they evaluate, they judge. So in some cases, trust in government might go up if they're executing well and managing crises, whether it's pandemic or something else effectively, and it goes down when when they're not. Um, so it's more of this destabilization and a willingness to, to judge and criticize government as well as other kind of public and societal institutions. And then I think what I'm also hearing too then is there's other bl- blanket statements that trust is disappearing, but it's not disappearing. It's just sort of being redirected. We're uh, often, I heard you guys kind of talk about that human beings are hardwired for, for trust biologically, psychologically. Um, so, and then I guess the third point too, that I'm kind of hearing you guys all talk about too, is that it's trust is multidimensional. It's between different audiences. You can't necessarily manage it in isolation. It's not just between the organization and its customers. It's the organization and its employees, its customers and its partners. So yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like any of those points before we move on, just kind of tease them out a little little bit more because I feel like everyone can relate to trust, but sometimes that ability to feel like they can relate to trust leads to a lot of generalizations that aren't entirely accurate. Yeah, well, I think part of the issue is that we talk about the word trust so much. And as we discovered, you know, in the research, it's very, very hard to create an actual concrete definition of what trust is in a way that creates consensus for all of the business stakeholders, all of the analysts on the research team, right? Um, and that's only talking about, you know, one, the business context, let alone, and, and in one country, let alone, how do you translate that and, and understand, you know, essentially what trust is at a global level. Um, it's something that's so fundamental to how human beings operate. We, we can't have a, a, a functional society without people willing to trust another person, right? That is the, it is the basis for how society runs, for how a business, right? An organization of many, many human beings can operate. And yet articulating what this thing is and how it happens and why it happens or why you lose it is so emotional that it can be very, very difficult to find the right language around that. And then, you know, let alone put together survey data and quantify this thing and measure it and forecast it and slice and dice and analyze it. So that was the big challenge, of course, that motivated us as forestry analysts to tackle this strategically. Um, And I think, you know, that's kind of the most exciting thing about this research that we found is we can, in fact, come up with a systematic, logical 
rigorous data-driven way to make sense of this highly human, emotional, abstract thing called trust that is so essential to uh, how we operate as human beings and as a business. And that, as you said, Steph, you know, strings through the entire uh, business ecosystem. So it's not just a function of like a customer relationship or a marketing campaign or a vendor selection. It is all encompassing um, all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the other key point, I think you were just about to get into this, is that with this these changing patterns of trust, there's a huge opportunity right now for organizations that they've never had before. Um, and the ones that capitalize on it will be the, the most successful ones. So, I mean, maybe just a quick recap of some of what we found in the, the quantitative survey about the opportunities around customers, employees, even partners. Yeah, well, I can maybe just mention from the consumer side, um, what I think is so interesting that we saw in the data is that, you know, 47% of consumers in the U.S., 48% of consumers in the U.K., are now saying that they rely on brands for overall advice on how to stay healthy. Um, 32% of U.S. consumers, 33% of U.K. consumers are looking for brand guidance on how to manage stress and anxiety. And when you look at this kind of brand communication in the context of all of the kinds of communication consumers want from a company during the pandemic, right, things like uh, store closures, um, office you know, hours, logistics, how is the company changing the product model, the, the delivery, right? loan forgiveness, all of that stuff is important. But these things, how the company is helping the consumer care for his or her own physical and emotional well-being is just as important as all of that other logistical functional stuff. It's, it, these are all of the most important things that consumers want to hear from companies. So that tells me as I was saying earlier, that consumers are giving brands much more permission to play a bigger role in improving the consumer's quality of life. And that is driven from trust in the company, right? The belief that this company will not just satisfy this functional need I have, but will help me become empowered to live the kind of life that I want to become a stronger, more resilient consumer and, and human being. And one point that I think is interesting to make also is that uh, the benefit of trust um, and its opposite is also spreading through the ecosystem. So, for example, um, about 20% of consumers um, in, in Singapore and in the UK say that if they trust a brand, they are more likely to trust the other brands that are affiliated with the company they trust. But also the study shows that when there is a breach of trust, that is also likely to expand not just from the company that, that actually uh, did the breach of trust, but to the affiliated brands of that company. So uh, there is this uh, really um, uh, trust sentiment that goes across an ecosystem, which is a great opportunity when you build a very strong trusted uh, supply chain and then ecosystem of partners. But um, again, it brings a question of, are you sure that you want to do business with that specific company? Because if something goes wrong, you're going to pay for that as being affiliated in, um, across the ecosystem. So I think that was an, another very interesting aspect that we analyzed. You sort of hit on this a, a little bit. I think both of you, like trust can be this you know, emotional, maybe loosey goosey topic, hard to define. And, and yet we're sort of saying like, it's a imperative or important. Now's the time to build a trust strategy. Like what, what are the sort of steps that firms 
should be taking to understand and improve trust with their with their customers um, if if now's the time. So one of the um, goals that we had was really to create a model that was something that companies could take and use and understand, first of all, how the ecosystem is trusting them and also how they can influence that. Uh, because it seems that sometimes trust is something that happens randomly. It is just subject to random facts, but actually it's not that. And so we provided this very concrete definition as a starting point. Uh, we emphasize the confidence and the confidence is that high probability that an event is going to happen and then expectation as a you as a as a person i'm going to expect a positive outcome out of the relationship and it's also true if i enter into a business relationship uh, with another business i do expect a positive outcome out of that so that's the our definition of trust and then um, we looked at a number of existing um, academic models and also models that were produced by a number of uh, public institutions around trust and which are the levers that influence how people trust. Um, and we came up with our model with uh, those uh, seven um, levers of, of trust. We did uh, define them. And what is interesting is that um, uh, our hypothesis about those levers being hardcore related with trust was then proved um, in our uh, data study, in our survey. So we are providing the, the, the levers, we are providing very specific definition for these levers, and we are also um, providing the, the data that explain the correlation of these levers we trust. And these are uh, transparency, depend, uh, dependability, consistency, integrity, empathy, and there are a couple more there. Um, the other interesting thing is that we noticed that, well, not every lever is correlated to trust in the same way for the same business type. That is the other layer of this analysis. We suggest that the balance and the right mix of levers that actually drive trust changes depending on the business type. And so you might think it's intuitive that what consumers are looking for in a highly service-oriented business like a bank is different than what they're looking for from their convenience shop. But now we have uh, actually created a model that, that is measuring that, that is providing clear guidance to companies on how they can use these levers to influence the way consumers and employees and partners actually trust them. Um, and and um, yeah, you can see we're very excited about that. Yeah, it's interesting about the the trust levers. I know from the data, we were we were actually surprised. You know, for example, you mentioned um, businesses that focus on convenience, so it might be. Um, a, a convenience store is the classic example. I think we were all expecting, for example, um, you know, definitely competence and dependability, but I think we were very surprised actually when transparency came up as number three. So, I mean, that, that I guess uh, there's an important point there, which is a lot of organizations make assumptions about their levels of trust and make assumptions about what contributes to trust. And I think what our data shows is, you can be completely wrong. So it's so important to actually get true quantitative information about what's driving the, the trust levers. But I'd be interested if you guys could speak to that, that business type and how, and some of the surprising results that we got from the data. Yeah. Well, I think in addition to what you're saying, Stephanie, that some of the levers were surprising and that they surfaced to the top as being powerful drivers of trust for a particular type of company. Um, what we also did was examined how many consumers believe that these types of companies 
express that lover today. And so what we can do very clearly in the data is look at which are the lovers that are statistically most important to driving trust compared to what is the percentage of consumers that believe that companies currently perform well on this. And when we look at these two things together, we find some really interesting deltas in the data. So keeping with that convenience store example, for instance, um, we found that empathy is one of the strongest levers of trust uh, among, uh, among consumers. But only 46% of consumers in the U.S. think that their convenience store experiences express a sense of empathy, so less than half. So that becomes an opportunity for these companies to um, you know, signal empathy in a more obvious way to then directly and measurably dial up trust in the brand and the experience. So some of those differences in the data um, were really interesting. Um, what's also interesting and sort of surprising to me is that Enzo was talking about the, um, the highly service-oriented companies. You know, in that case, um, all seven levers have a strong measurable impact on trust. So in, whereas with like the convenience store or other types of companies like luxury goods, for instance, you can really kind of prioritize maybe three to four, maximum five levers that are absolutely the most important. And then the other levers are kind of secondary, like nice to have opportunities for differentiation. In the service-oriented companies, like when you're talking about a bank, every single lever is really, really important. And when you think about that in the real world, it does kind of make sense, right? Because you are building this higher stakes relationship with the customer. Um, it, you know, it requires a different kind of commitment among employees. It's, it's part of a much more perhaps complicated partnership ecosystem. And so all levers have to be, you know, firing uh, to, to uh, earn and then preserve trust um, in these types of organizations. And one surprise from for me was to specifically look at transparency. Um, in the market, very often you almost feel that there is this um, uh, complete um, uh, correspondence between trust and transparency. If you're a transparent company, then you win trust. And this is always true, and this is true across business types. Actually, our study says not. It's not always the same. Transparency is one of the levels of trust. And we have seen that, for example, in the luxury goods uh, business type or in the um, highly services-oriented uh, business type, transparency is one of the levels, but not necessarily uh, the most important. In some cases, it's actually one of the secondary levels, for example, in the, um, in the second business type that we analyze around the uh, luxury uh, brands um, uh, business type. So um, sometimes we make assumption just as a perception that we have. Um, and actually those perception prove to be wrong. And, and transparency was a good example of a, a, a classic element that you connect to trust and you think it will always work. And actually it doesn't. You have to really to think about what's the business type, what I'm trying to achieve, with which audience I'm trying to engage. And then I'm also using the, the right language to engage with our audience. 
that's another very important element that came up. If you are trying to pass an audit with a regulator, you're going to talk about accountability and transparency in a certain way. If you instead want to convey the message to your employees, probably you are going to use a different, a complete different set of um, you know, skills, language, examples, and, and proof points that you want to bring uh, to the table. So there is also the, this aspect that comes with the levers and the audiences that, that you're dealing with. Yeah, you guys bring up some incredibly important points. I mean, the first point is about being really specific and precise about your business type. Um, the next is about audience, whether you're talking about your ultimate end customer, your employee and your partner. I think there's a key point in there, which is you can't manage trust in isolation. So if you try to focus just on building trust capital with customers, but ignore employees, that's not going to work either. Because we've seen lots of organizations actually have um, uh, crises with their own employees that ultimately ends up impacting how consumers and customers view them as well. So I think that's a key point. And then, and that you brought up earlier about the relationship with partners. Um, you think about like how many partners actually lead to privacy abuses, breaches, you know, you're not transferring the accountability or responsibility of that. In many cases, it's your brand that ultimately suffers for their, for their behavior. So not doing this in isolation, I think is, is important. So we know there is a huge opportunity for trust and the timing is now. The, the companies that take deliberate action and capitalize on it are the ones that are going to be successful over the next decade. And we covered a lot. We covered what trust is, the key levers. We know it changes by business type, by audience, and it's region specific. If we were to boil the critical steps that organizations take next, you know, what are the key tools and key steps that they take right now to move on this opportunity? Well, first of all, I think um, there is a very important call here. There is uh, trust is not this random thing that sometimes happens. It's also true that what you perceive as an organization, when you say how people trust me as an organization, uh, very often those, those assumptions are wrong. So our recommendation is actually to use the uh, trust scorecard that we have created, and that must be really an outsiding process. That is not for organization to say, how they believe the, uh, the different audiences actually trust them, but it's for organization to go and grab really the feedback from employees, from customer, for partner, and say, how really these audiences trust me as an organization across these uh, seven levels. And so to make it a very much outside in as, a, as an evaluation process. So um, uh, take a look at the scorecard. Um, it's uh, pretty simple, but it's a very important a first step to really start uh, developing a, a strategy um, around trust. And then the second point is really this action plan. Make sure that this is a call for the ESC suite. This is a, a call for the executive organizations to come together and really start to think about how do we influence these different levers? How do we make sure that we are focusing on the primary lever for our a business type and also consider the regional differences because those are very important. What is going to work in a market doesn't work in the next market. And so just have that sense and that data driven insights really about how different markets and different regions are going to react uh, to the lever that you pull on or, or, or push really to change how people trust you. So it's also important to then once you do the assessment and build your action plan, to remember that trust is the thing that threads through the customer experience, right? We know through our CX index data that 
higher levels of trust are correlated with higher customer experience quality and directly drive customer loyalty behaviors like retention, enrichment, advocacy. But it is also the same thing that threads through the employee experience. We know from our EX index data that employee trust levels play into a high quality perception of employee experience overall. And trust is also that connective tissue with the brand promise um, and the brand experience. Our, our brand energy work shows that trust works with other emotions to bolster brand perceptions and uh, elicit things like purchase intent, brand preference, willingness to pay a premium for, for brands. So all of these things are connected along this thread of trust. Great. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.